Our Heavenly Father, we know that you care much more than we do about these people who are affected by these tragedies. And, uh, and Lord, we pray that you would give us your heart for them. Lord, may we feel compassion for the, the victims of these things, and may we do what we can to help. But Lord, we also ask that you would be directly involved in, in uh, bringing miraculous help to the people who are affected by these things and many other tragedies in the world as well. We think also of the, uh, the cyclone in New Zealand. and uh, Lord, the world needs you. And we pray that you would uh, be a comfort and a healer in these situations. Amen. All right, we are starting a brand new sermon series. We just finished our Roman series last week, and today we are starting a series that we are calling The Road to Easter. The Road to Easter. And, um, and we, uh, in this series, we're going to be uh, looking at teachings from the Gospels that, uh, that talk about uh, the stories of what happened in uh, Jesus' life as he was heading toward Easter, especially the, the last week of his uh, life before his um, death and resurrection. And, uh, and so we're going to look at uh, that from now uh, up until Easter. We'll be, uh, we'll be looking at those different uh, stories and events that led up to Good Friday and Easter. So let's dive right into the first story, uh, which is recorded in slightly different versions in Matthew and in Mark and in John. And we're going to flip around a little bit to those different ones, but we're going to focus mostly on the story as it's told in the Gospel of Mark, and it's found in Mark chapter 14. So you'll want to open your Bible to Mark 14 or pull that up on your phone uh, so that you can uh, follow along. Uh, the majority of our time will be in Mark chapter 14. So here's what it says in Mark 14, starting with verse 1. It says, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. So these first two verses here really kind of set the stage and kind of set up uh, the, the, uh, the situation for the stories that follow after this. Um, and really for the whole uh, rest of this series are, are all set up by this these first two verses, what's going on here? So um, it says the Passover and the feast uh, or the festival of unleavened bread. And those were kind of a joint holiday in the Jewish uh, calendar, kind of the way uh, Good Friday and Easter are for us. They're kind of really close together and they're kind of a combined holiday as they happen together. Same with Passover and the festival of unleavened bread. Um, and they were the biggest thing on the Jewish calendar. Um, biggest holiday there was. And, uh, and a lot of Jews would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate those holidays at the temple in Jerusalem. It was a very important part of uh, Jewish religion that there was only one temple, right? There were synagogues in other places scattered around the world, but there was only one temple, and that was in Jerusalem. And so uh, many Jewish people from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to worship there, especially for these uh, festivals. And uh, so this holiday was two days away, and it was a big deal. 
And Jesus, who lived most of the time up in Galilee, which is a northern region of uh, Israel in those days, um, uh, he had come down to Jerusalem for the holiday, as had a lot of other people from Galilee and a lot of other people from around the world had all come to Jerusalem for the holiday. And um, then it tells us here that the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to secretly arrest Jesus and kill him. And they wanted to do it secretly because they thought that the people might riot if it was done openly. Um, so what's happening there? Well, that shows us two important things uh, about the setting of the story. At this point, which is about three years after Jesus began to preach and teach and do what we call his public ministry, um, he was very popular. Um, but also, he was very controversial, right? So the kinds of things that he was teaching about ethical behavior, about how to relate to God, what God was like, what things were really important to God, how to understand the biblical law, those things that he was teaching were very popular with a pretty sizable portion of the population. And of course, the miracles that he was doing that were proving that he was really from God also helped his popularity quite a bit. Um, but, uh, and I'm sure that a lot of people also really liked how he challenged the hypocritical religious leaders of the day and, and put them in their place. But some people did not like the things that Jesus was teaching. They were happy with keeping things the way that they were. And they did not want to see a young new teacher shaking things up. And sometimes we forget just how young Jesus was. Remember, I was, I was mentioning earlier that uh, we have a young adults uh, thing over in Spinard, and our age group is 20s to 30s. Jesus was right in the heart of that demographic. He was, at this point, probably about 33. Young guy, shaking up the world. People did not like it. Um, and they were not happy that he was challenging their authority. They didn't like his take on things like keeping the Sabbath or how he was teaching a personal father-child relationship for his people to, to have with God. In the eyes of some people, Jesus was a dangerous man. He was too popular, and he was leading lots of gullible people astray from the traditional ways that uh, people had of relating to God. He was challenging things and stirring people up to question authority, and, and, and it might even lead to a rebellion against Rome. And they knew what would happen if they rebelled against Rome. The Romans would crush them, which eventually is what happened. Not because of Jesus, but historically that is what happened. And many people also felt personally attacked by Jesus. Because, see, Jesus was a reformer. He was a lot more than just a reformer, but he was definitely a reformer. And a lot of people don't like reformers. The people who benefit from the status quo do not like reformers. And so we read that they were plotting to have Jesus arrested and killed. So let's, uh, let's get to the story now. That's the setup. Now what happened? It says, verse 3, uh, while he was in Bethany, and Bethany is basically like a suburb of Jerusalem. 
Um, while Jesus was staying in Bethany, he was walking every day into Jerusalem and back out to Bethany to, to, to sleep. So it was just a, a short walk. I don't remember what it is, two or three miles or something from Bethany into Jerusalem. So that's where he was staying, and that's where this happened. So it says, while he was at Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, and she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now, to give us uh, kind of an idea of what we're talking about here, I got this picture of this bottle of, uh, this is called Soleil Lalique Crystal Edition Extracts de Parfum. And um, you can buy this, this bottle. Um, it's pretty pricey. It's, it's uh, available at Harrods for $22,630. Um, and that's a pretty pricey perfume in a pretty fancy crystal bottle. Uh, and I would say it's insanely expensive, as in you have to be insane to buy a bottle of perfume for $22,000. Uh, but it's actually only about half as expensive as the perfume from the story. Um, in the next verse, it, it mentions that this perfume from the story was worth more than a year's wages. So to give us an idea of what that is, in Anchorage, I just Googled it real quick because Google knows the answers to all these questions. In Anchorage, the average per capita annual income is over $46,000. And it says this was worth more than a year's wages, so I'm saying this is $50,000 worth of perfume. Twice as much as our fancy bottle here. Um, and... This, that means that this crazy person just poured $50,000 worth of perfume on Jesus' head, right? And that prompted some strong reactions, right? So uh, it says in verse 4, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Now, Mark is being kind of uh, uh, kind to his friends here. Um, the, the, the apostles were uh, Mark's mentors. He knew a number of them, and so he's not naming them here as the ones who were complaining. But in, the other, in Matthew, he does say that's who it was that was complaining. It was the, the 12 apostles were complaining and rebuking this woman. They start out talking to each other and saying, what an insane waste of money. And, you know, to be honest, I'm kind of with them on this, right? That's kind of, what in the world? Um, $50,000 worth of perfume poured on his head? No, 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 no. That's not a, that's not a good, not a good uh, responsible thing to do. And then after complaining to each other for a minute, they turned on the woman herself and they rebuked her harshly. Now, what exactly did they say? I think they probably said something like, are you stupid or something? <laughs> Do you have more money than brains? What are you doing? And now, I don't think they were quite as bad as the comments on a political Facebook post, because these were the apostles we're talking about here. But still, they were rebuking her harshly. And then Jesus hears this, and he comes to her defense. Verse 6, leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful 
thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So let's go back a moment, uh, a couple of verses back here. The disciples did not appreciate spending all that money in order to pour perfume on Jesus' head. And what's the reason that they give? They say that the perfume could have been sold and they could have used the money to feed the poor. And again, this seems pretty much like what I would have been thinking if I had been there. Um, but where do the disciples get this idea that uh, people ought to sell their things and give the money to the poor? Well, maybe from Jesus? <laughs> um, Jesus taught pretty much exactly this on multiple occasions that are recorded for us here in the Gospels. And there, there's a sermon uh, in, in Luke chapter 12 where Jesus is preaching to a huge crowd of thousands of people, and, the, and Luke summarized it for us. And, and in part of that, he says this. He says, uh, flip over here. He says, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for the Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So Jesus is just telling them, don't worry about finances. It's going to be okay. God will take care of you. And then, so what should our attitude toward finance be? Verse 33 Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. That was Jesus' teaching. So the disciples heard that and remembered that that was an appropriate thing. Now, some people have, have read our main passage today, and they focused on one of the phrases that Jesus said there. Some people have focused on the part where it says in verse 7, the poor you will always have with you. And some people have used that statement as an excuse to not do much for the poor. Um, after all, trying to eliminate poverty is impossible. Jesus just told us there's always going to be poor people. And so, um, so there's no point. But I got to tell you, I don't have a lot of sympathy for people that, <laughs> that interpret it that way. Because they are ignoring a mountain of biblical evidence that care for the poor is a Christian responsibility and instead are focusing on one half of a sentence that they think discourages trying to help the poor. So what I say to those people and what I think Jesus would say to those people is, sell your possessions and give to the poor. So 
Selling the insanely expensive perfume and giving the money to the poor seems like the kind of thing that Jesus himself would encourage. The disciples probably expected him to say something like, hey, wait a minute, lady, ho, oh, uh, I don't really need such expensive perfume. A, a much uh, cheaper fragrance will be fine, thank you. In fact, you can just puff a little bit, a little couple of little uh, sprays on me, it'll be enough. And, uh, and we don't need to waste this whole bottle. Uh, instead, uh, why don't we... Uh, uh, give me some normal perfume, and you can use that $50,000 to feed the poor. So who thinks that it would have been pretty reasonable and totally in line with Jesus' teaching for him to say something like that? Seems, seems reasonable to me. But Jesus has something more to teach the disciples here. He says, no, what she did is good. She has done what she could. And then he gives the meaning of what she has done for him. He says that she has poured this perfume on him in order to prepare his body for burial. Now, that's a bit strange. Um, usually, you wait until someone has died before you start embalming the body. Um, but in this case, the woman is preparing Jesus for burial even before he has died. Now, why would she do that? At the very least, it seems like a pretty pessimistic prediction on her part uh, that Jesus is going to die soon. Why would she think that? Well, it's because Jesus has been saying it over and over again for quite some time now that he is going to die. In fact, in, in Matthew's gospel, when he tells this story, he puts just three verses earlier in the same chapter, this quote from Jesus. He says, as you know, the Passover is two days away and the son of man will be handed over to be crucified. Now, when you, when you read that, uh, I'm not quite sure. He says, as you know, at the beginning, maybe that was only referring to, as you know, the Passover is two days away, but it seems like it could very well be, as you know, I'm going to be crucified because he's told them this many times. They should know this. <laughs> um, so this was something that Jesus has been talking about. And the woman with the perfume, and, and John actually tells us that her name was Mary, um, which seems like the name of about every other person in the, in the gospel stories are all named Mary. But anyway, this, this woman was named Mary. Um, she had understood what Jesus was saying better than the 12 apostles had. She understood that Jesus was going to die. And so she got this expensive perfume in order to prepare Jesus for his death and his burial. Why? It was because she loved Jesus. And this was the beginning of her mourning over his death. Because she believed that it was going to happen as he had predicted. And she was already starting to mourn. And why did she use $50,000 worth of perfume? Because she loved Jesus so much that no expression of her love was too extravagant for her. She loved Jesus extravagantly and wanted to demonstrate her love in an extreme way. And Jesus said, yes, that is the kind of expression of love 
and mourning that is appropriate at this time. She did what she could. She showed her love for him by giving something that cost her dearly. And Jesus praised her for it and honored her actions. And he even predicted that we would be talking about it here. Here we are on the ends of the earth from their perspective for sure, thousands of years later, still talking about this woman. And Jesus said, that's what's going to happen. So here's what I see as one of the key ideas of this story. It's verse 7, where Jesus directly addresses the question of how this woman should have spent her resources. Should she have sold the perfume and used the money to feed the poor, or was she right to use it as an extravagant expression of her love for Jesus? And Jesus says, here's the, here's the verse, the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want but you will not always have me. See, Mary was right to use the perfume as an expression of love, no matter how impractical or extravagant it was. Jesus applauds her excessive actions because expressing our love for God is the right thing to do. But also because this was a crucial historical moment Right? Jesus, the one and only Son of God, the Messiah, God himself come down from heaven as a man, was about to die and be buried and, and raised to life. He was about to sacrifice his life for the sake of his people. And Mary correctly saw that, that, that at this moment, the right thing to do was to show her love for him. And she did it in the most over-the-top way she could come up with. So this was a, a, a unique historical moment. Um, but it was, the, was it the only moment in which it's appropriate to spend excessive resources to demonstrate our love for God instead of using them uh, for more practical purposes like helping the poor? No, I don't, it's not the only time. There are other times in our lives that things will come up when it becomes appropriate to be excessive and, uh, and, and sh show our love for God in extreme ways. Um, we think of the time when the Israelites were building the tabernacle in the wilderness, and uh, Moses needed all the materials and things to build the tabernacle, and so the people gave. And they gave so generously that Moses had to tell them, stop giving, I have too much now. Um, that was a, another key moment when, uh, when the people gave excessively to show their devotion to God at the building of the tabernacle. Maybe a modern church building project might, on a smaller scale, uh, be another time when it's, it's appropriate to, to uh, give of ourselves excessively in a way that's not necessarily sustainable, but is something that we do uh, to demonstrate our commitment to God um, at a particular time. Recently, a group of uh, wealthy Christians pooled their money, uh, pooled their resources to create a big advertising campaign to try to reach people with the gospel. And last Sunday was the Super Bowl. And during the Super Bowl, this group, they, uh, their website is called He Gets Us. They purchased two Super Bowl ads. Those ads cost $7 million apiece. So they spent $14 million for 60 seconds of our time. Um, to 
promote Jesus. Um, they have stated that they plan to spend a billion dollars on promotions and advertising over, or I'm not sure what exactly their time frame is there. Now, some people have uh, looked at that and they say, wow, is that really a good way to spend your money? Um, you could have fed the poor. You could have built affordable housing. You could have, you could have uh, funded seminaries. All, all kinds of practical things that they could have done with that money instead of buying incredibly expensive Super Bowl ads for $14 million. But here's the thing. Those people believe that the world is at a place where we need Jesus. And they believe that they should be pouring out their perfume in order to make Jesus uh, uh, well-known and to bring glory to him. Now, this woman in our story, she loved Jesus, and she wanted to show him her love, and so she did a beautiful thing to him. She did what she could, and she is clearly being held up as an example for us to follow. So be like Mary. Love Jesus. Demonstrate your love to him in extravagant ways. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Should we uh, get on the Herod's website and order a $22,000 bottle of perfume that we can break and dump out for Jesus? Uh, probably not. <laughs> uh, Jesus isn't here like he was then. That was a special moment when that was an appropriate thing to do. Um, Jesus himself said, you will not always have me. What does that mean? That means that he, his physical body is no longer here for us to, to do things like that for him. Um, so he's not here for us to, to physically serve like he was on that occasion. So how can we serve Jesus today then? If we want to demonstrate our love to Jesus and we want to do something for him, how can we do that? Well, Jesus answered that for us himself in another one of his sermons. It's in Matthew's gospel, and it actually comes just before the story of the perfume in Matthew's gospel. Um, Jesus is telling people what the final judgment is going to be like. And he's telling them about how at the final judgment, the, the judge will sit on his throne and all the people will be gathered who've ever lived and, 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 and the judge will separate them into two groups. And then once they're separated into two groups, he will speak to each group. Um, and he's, here's what he's going to say to the first group. He's going to say, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. And then Jesus says that those people are going to ask, oh, when did that happen? When did we see you in any of those situations and do something for you? And, and Jesus gave a very famous response. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, it says, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me. Do you want to show love to Jesus? Do you want to give an extravagant expression of your devotion to him? Find the least of these. The powerless, the poor, the needy, and feed the hungry. House the stranger. Clothe the one who needs clothes. 
because when we serve these people, we are actually serving Jesus. Of course, that isn't the only way to show our love for Jesus. Um, there's other things besides, you know, monetary donations and those kinds of things. There's many ways to serve people, but I would still say uh, the, uh, a primary way of serving Jesus is find the least of these and serve them somehow. It doesn't have to be with, uh, uh, with expensive gifts. It can be other ways of serving, but, uh, but find ways to serve uh, these, uh, these people in need. The title for this sermon is Extravagant Love, right? Because Mary showed extravagant love for Jesus in the way that she uh, poured out the, the perfume. And, and we should follow her example and also love Jesus and do what we can in order to, to do beautiful things for him. Um, but there's another extravagant love in this passage, and that is Jesus' love for us. Um, I've mentioned in this message that, that, that Jesus had been predicting his death. Uh, and, and now he says that this perfume is to prepare his body for burial. Here's the thing, though. If he knows that his enemies are about to catch up with him, why doesn't he get out of town? Why does he continue to go into the temple court, the most public place in, in the whole world for, for, for this purposes? Why does he keep going to the temple and preaching and teaching, knowing that what he is doing is provoking his enemy's wrath and that very soon they are going to uh, catch up with him and arrest him and kill him? See, he could have gone back to Nazareth at this point. He saw the danger and he could have said, ooh, boy, this is bad. I'm out of here. Go back to Nazareth, gather up my carpentry tools, settle down to a nice life of a middle-class Jew living in Nazareth, doing my carpentry work and, and forget all that stuff. That almost got me killed. But he didn't do that. Why not? Well, it's because he was on the road to Easter. Right? And he knew that he was on the road to Easter. And he chose the road to Easter, even though that road would take him to some pretty dark places. He knew that that road would take him to betrayal and utter rejection by his closest friends. An unjust criminal trial, beatings, torture. He knew that that road would take him to forsaken, being forsaken by God himself. And he knew that it would take him to his own physical death in one of the most painful ways that evil people ever invented for killing people, crucifixion. So why did Jesus choose that road? Because of his extravagant love. Love for who? Well, it was for you and for me. See, he knew that this road was necessary in order to win for us the forgiveness of sins. And if we were to, to spend eternity in fellowship with him in paradise, he had to go down this road. And he valued you 
so much that he looked at the road to Easter with all of its pain and suffering, and he said, totally worth it. He knew what was coming, and he knew that the perfume was preparing his body for burial. And he did not flinch. He endured it all out of his extravagant love for sinful people like me and like you. So here's, here's the challenge today. Here's the challenge from this story. In response to Jesus' extravagant love for you, how will you show extravagant love to him? What will you do to demonstrate your love for Jesus? Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful that uh, you sent Jesus to, to suffer and die for us, to pay the price that we owed. And Lord, we are grateful, and I pray that you would help us to see and know how we can demonstrate our gratitude and our love for you. And Lord, give us the, the passion to love like Mary loved. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.